Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. The culture is the culture. It's four to six A to B, competitive excellence, and the brotherhood. Uh, the plan to win uh, has never changed. So the culture here and the plan to win is always going to be here at Ohio State. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Four to Six with A and B. This is the free episode. Bill, let's just get right to it. This is just a positivity episode, right? I, uh, I, I'm trying to not overreact too positively to what happened on Saturday. Like I, th- we came out of the FAU game, and I thought you overreacted a little bit, mm-hmm. and like I was a little more pragmatic. Now I think the roles might be reversed. No, I think I'm on the swing set. I think I'm on a swing. Well, set. Well, you're always on the swing set. Yeah, but when I get, <laughs> but when I but when I get on when I get on the uh, Ohio State looks awesome train. Um, I don't know. I, I get a little concerned about that because I, I mean, I thought they looked really good. Yeah, I, mean, I, I agree. I mean, I went back and I watched the film um, a few times uh, over the weekend, and I thought this team looks like they have it together. Now, I, I don't, I don't want to start talking about national championships and stuff, but you know, there seems to be a foundation to build on here. I mean, I, and I don't really know. Like, even if you wanted to nitpick, what you would even say? Like, if the if the team gives me of all people. Nothing to nitpick. Then I mean, I I got nothing negative to say about this game. Yeah, I mean, if you want, if you dig into it, and we'll, and we'll dig into it here. I mean, there are, there are things that you can nitpick. You know, there were a couple of things that Justin Fields did that he could have done better. Um, you can't possibly nitpick two bad snaps. Was there? There was one play where he held onto the ball too long and got sacked. I mean, uh, that's what we're here to do. We're here to nitpick. No, I'm just saying he wasn't. He threw five incompletions, and I think three of them were throwaways. Yeah, so like he was nearly perfect. He wasn't totally perfect. And I don't. I'm not going to spend 45 minutes talking about the one play Justin Fields made. <laughs> Could a you imagine if we just had a podcast <laughs> yeah. where we're just like the yeah. one play we broke People down? People would for, turn it off. Uh, <laughs> like, almost they immediately. were nitpicking last week. They were going to start nitpicking. No, his, but it was his it was, sack. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> but most of the things, if whatever you, the things you could have come out of the first game concerned about, and that is like I think. Justin Fields, uh, maybe not seeing things that were there, and that only happened a few times. And the offensive line being a little inconsistent, and and J.K. Dobbins himself being a little inconsistent, like all of that was better against Cincinnati, and and the defense was was better against Cincinnati probably than it was against Florida Atlantic. So I don't. It was it was a good sort of second step for for a team that you know, like you said at the when we started this, should still have national championship aspirations, and then beating Cincinnati. The way they did doesn't mean you're there yet, but it looked like a team that's projected to do that 
should look when you're playing. And that wasn't a bad team. That, that I think that Cincinnati team is going to be still possibly a double-digit win team, at least a team that contends for its division in the American and maybe gets to its conference championship game. And Ohio State throttled them in like every facet. I, I was walking out of the stadium, and one reporter goes, well, they're way ahead of where they were in the 2014 season at this point in the year. And uh, he walked out like that. I think that was like his way of saying this team's going to Phoenix. Who said that? Uh, we'll just uh, leave it, leave it be. But I don't know if I no, disagree it's, it's with an it. Point. It's an interesting point. You know, point. I, 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 I don't want to give the person credit who said. Yeah, that. it was Austin Ward. Yeah, Letterman Row. Um, and I do think there's that a lot. There are a lot there's of, a lot well, of there's a lot of teams that are ahead of where Ohio State was in the 2014 season. They lost their second game because they couldn't throw a pass or block anybody. Or block anybody. So. Um, that's not too crazy, but I think the insinuation was that this team looks like it has it all together, and if they can put it together, you know, might be there at the end again. And I don't know that I disagree. I think this team's a bona fide national championship contender. But you know, before the year, before the game too, we we cautioned the readers, you know, on this podcast. We we I wrote about it on the Friday piece. Um, Cincinnati was similarly talented to FAU, so. Um, you know, as good as it was to to see Ohio State really play well in all facets of the game, how f- much, how good can you feel when you beat a team that just cannot match up athletically? I don't care if, if Cincinnati's going to go win 10 games and win the AAC. What does that mean in the context of what Ohio State did to them? Because, in truth, it's possible that you could go down this list, and even after Nebraska lost to Colorado – I know that that was a trendy pick, and I'm sure that'll still be a tough game on the road Mm -hmm. um, in a few weeks. But when is Ohio State truly going to be tested to its full capacity? Um, And that's just kind of what's hard about analyzing these teams early on in the year because even when they look really good, it's kind of hard to look to take too much stock into a team that just cannot match up, and Cincinnati couldn't match up. Yeah, and Florida Atlantic got boat raced this week again too by by Central Florida, which I think was to be expected. I, I think what you're saying is fair. I'm just pulling up the schedule here to make sure I have my dates right. Uh, so they play Indiana this week, um, and we'll talk, maybe we'll talk a little bit more about that later in this episode, um, that line and, and what we think of it, at least initially. Then they play Miami, Ohio the week after that. That's obviously not a test. By the way, that's a 3.30 kick that got announced uh, on Monday morning. Miami, Ohio game, 3.30 kick, I believe, on Big Ten Network. Then it's at Nebraska, then Michigan State, uh, and then a bye week. So uh, I still think Nebraska and Michigan State are going to be test tests for Ohio State maybe not tests on the whole I don't know people were all about Nebraska's defense for the first game in the first three quarters against Colorado then what the Colorado score 24, 24 points in the fourth, in the fourth quarter, quarter yep. so so maybe that that was a little bit of fool's gold there and then but Michigan State's gonna have a good defense and D'Antonio's team always does so I think Ohio State's offense will get tested against Michigan State Ohio State's defense should get tested against Nebraska but maybe they won't get a full complete test until they end up playing Wisconsin toward the end of uh toward the end of October but that doesn't mean you still can't feel good about what's happened so far even though like we like we said Florida Atlantic obviously isn't very good although it might be good in its league and Cincinnati might be good in its league but clearly it wasn't up to the test at least on this day of of standing up to Ohio State but I, I don't know. I would take a lot of solace from the fact that they look dominant because like, when's the last time Ohio State looked totally dominant against an overmatched team that wasn't Rutgers? Like, they always kick Rutgers' ass every year because mm-hmm. Chris Ash just, just can't get that program right. 
Um, or I don't even know if anybody can get that program right. But but even last year, like Oregon State, the the opener last year, Ohio State put a bunch of points up, but it was clear that the defense had issues from that game. Like Ohio State's defense was not dominant at all in that game. Ohio State's defense through the first two games has been pretty locked down. I know they gave up some points to FAU at the end when there was a mix of, of starters and twos and threes in there. Um, but to preserve the shutout the way they did against Cincinnati, to to have two stands inside the five-yard line, tough Borland's interception – and the fumble that Dallas Gant forced on the on the goal line in the yep. fourth quarter, like I don't that, that's big stuff, man. I I think that's a defense taking a lot of pride in what it's doing, playing really confident. And and I know the caliber of, of opponents not great, but it's just the way they're playing, the way they're flying around that would instill a lot of confidence in me if I were an Ohio State fan right now, especially on the defensive side of the ball. You guys are listening to the free episode of Four to Six with A and B. It's available on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcast. Uh, we'd appreciate it if you'd subscribe, rate, and review. It really means a lot to us that uh, you're here listening to this podcast with us. We're still trying to get this thing off the ground, and uh, with your guys' support, I feel like we're on the right uh, path up into the uh, atmosphere and into your earbuds. Um, if you want to get the pay episode that we have every week on Fridays, um, only on the Athletic app, go to theathletic.com uh, slash 4 to 6 or 4-6. Um, and you get 40% off. So we appreciate you being here. Um, back to your point, Bill. Um, even if you go back to the, the 14 season, you have that loss against Virginia Tech early on in the year. Mm-hmm. And then you have 2015, which I think is the most talented football team in the history of Ohio State football. Then there were some really talented teams in the 90s. But, no, I, I mean, if you go back and you look at the players that were on that team and, you know, what they're doing in the NFL right now, it's pretty crazy. And, you know, they beat Hawaii 38-0, which was the first – or was the last shutout, right? Um, that not, wasn't first a non-Rutgers, non-Rutgers team. Because yeah. Rutgers is really what doesn't count. Rutgers got shut out in 17 and 16. I think the score was the same and was home and road. Yeah, but then they beat – yeah, they beat Hawaii 38 nothing. And then the following week, um, I was at a wedding, um, and I missed this game, and I'm sitting at home, and Ohio State was tied, I think, with Northern Illinois in the third quarter. Yeah, it was a little And I was like, I, they better not lose this freaking game. I picked one game to go on a wedding in my entire career, and they're going to lose in Northern Illinois at home. Um, you got to be there for that. Uh, but, like, yeah, putting together. That's how I felt last year. I didn't go to the game at Maryland last year because I went to the basketball game at Creighton. Instead. Oh, yeah, yeah. And I'm sitting here on my couch like, oh, my God, I can't believe I'm not at this game. <laughs> they're going to lose to Maryland. Seven hundred. Well, they, they did lose to Maryland. They yeah. just didn't lose. Um, and everybody's going to lose to Maryland this year, by the That's way. True. Um, their spread went from minus four to minus eight already. Um, they get a big one uh, next week. They play Penn State on Friday night. Penn State. Oh, God, guys. Landis was to- told me, he goes, hey, Buffalo plus 31 and a half. This is, this is easy money. <laughs> I think Buffalo was winning 10-7 at halftime, and they lost by 32. Could you imagine? Yeah. yeah. Um, don't, don't gamble. So, yeah, Maryland was a four-point favorite against Temple, and now they're an eight-point favorite. But we'll get back uh, on, on task Philly, here. Man. Yeah, you don't want to go into Philly wearing the wrong colors, I'll tell you that much. Um, but I think the point we're trying to make is that Ohio State's had some very stacked teams that actually were the best team in college football. In 2014, they were. They hadn't In the beginning of the year, they weren't there yet, but they were, um, obviously, by proving it on the field. And then in 15, they brought the entire team back, basically, mm-hmm. and – they had some really ugly games early on. I mean, they almost lost to Indiana at thirty. You know, uh, in the middle of that year in October, thirty-four twenty-seven was a one-touchdown game, um, and I think that that spread was also something like fourteen. So, um, trap season, I think, this weekend. For all the positivity that we're we're talking right now, I think that uh, going into the Indiana game, that spread looks a little fishy. And I and don't take UCLA minus twenty-two either, guys. It's a, it's a trap. <laughs> <laughs> um. 
I think a, a point to be made about 14 and 15 that I think is interesting compared to this year is 2014 was, was my first year covering Ohio State, and that game at Navy in Baltimore was, was my first game. I, I got the job, and then I drove down to Cambridge. Doug and Ari met me there, and we drove to Baltimore. And had a nice seafood dinner on had Friday a, night, if nice I recall. seafood dinner on Friday night. And that's where the friendship began. Yeah, yeah, here we are now. Six years later, Baltimore, Maryland. That's where it all started. Um, anyway, so I, I remember, like, I was in that press box covering that game. I had no idea what I was doing, but if you remember that game, um, Ohio State won it fairly comfortably, which is not an easy ask against Service Academy early in the year. Um, but their offensive line was not very good, like to the point where they were sort of flip-flopping guards. They couldn't quite figure out what side Billy Price and Pat Elfline were supposed to play on. I think they worked in Joel Hale a little bit with the first-team offensive line at one point, and they were still just trying to figure things out. And the, and the first story I wrote for when I was working at Cleveland.com off that game was was Urban Meyer at the podium so like emphatically saying, like, this is not what an Ohio State offensive line is supposed to look like. These guys were not good enough. And then the next week, they play Virginia Tech, and they couldn't block anybody. Because Baldwin was the right tackle, wasn't he? Baldwin was the right tackle, yeah. Taylor Decker had moved to left. Jacoby Bourne was a center. Undersized center. Yeah. So And, and there were clear issues. And, like, it's not that Navy's easy to block because they do all that, um, what do you call it, like those cut blocks and stuff. Yeah. Um, go after your knees. But anyway, it didn't, it didn't look good. And then and then the, the issues that Urban Meyer saw in that game – Sort of Urban very, Meyer getting up and telling everybody that that wasn't an Ohio State offensive line. You go from left to right. Decker, NFL player, Billy Price. But Remington at the time, it wasn't. Yeah, no, uh, he was right at the time. Elf line, Elf line, Remington. Yeah, they eventually became the best offensive. It's line just crazy, country. crazy to just look at it from that perspective because I, you know, you always go back and you remember 2014 as like this transcendent unbelievable thing that occurred. That you know, this team came together. They won a national championship with their third. But like, I always look at them with all this NFL talent, it's all over the field. You've got Eli Apple, Gary on Conley, Duran Grant, Devin Smith, Michael Thomas, Cardale Jones, JT Barrett, Ezekiel Elliott, Curtis Samuel, Jalen Marshall, Corey Smith, Evan Spencer, Jamarco Jones was a backup. Uh, yeah. We Nick Finette, the team. I mean, I know I'm, yeah. I'm just like looking at it right now. <laughs> it's crazy. Yeah. Um, and I wonder if in five years, uh, you know, to bring it back, cause I think it's more interesting. Can to I finish about, my point? What was your point? I don't know. You cut me off. Oh, I'm sorry. In 2014, they started the year with very clear issues on the offensive line that led to a loss against Virginia Tech. In 2015, and Irvin Meyer told us about it. In 2015, their quarterback situation was a mess, and it was evident from the beginning. And after the fact, we found out that the starters didn't even know who was the quarterbacks didn't know who was starting until the first snap against Virginia Tech, and then against Hawaii, he pulls Cardell Jones out and puts JT Barrett in, in the second quarter. And we're all looking at it like, what the hell is going on right now? Like they don't know what they're doing at quarterback. There were clear issues at the beginnings of both of those seasons that foreshadowed losses that were coming. And that like I know we're only two games into this and I'm not saying like but I I have not seen anything alarming from this team in through two games admittedly against bad bad and like average opponents. That makes me think like oh man they better get this figured out or else they're going to lose. And even last year they had that with their defense in the first game. It hasn't happened yet. You're right. Year. No, that's great. No, I, I that's a really good point. I'm sorry I cut you off there, but well, it just, it's, a, it's just it's a good thing to get to because you're right. I don't know what I would pick because alarming issues or things that are symptoms of what can happen down the road still have always happened against bad teams. So you can't sit here and say, listen, this is a bad team. It doesn't count. Well, Ohio State, if you go back and look at every single preseason from the past six years, even really good from national championship teams to a teams that lost two games, they always had those those symptoms come up early. Yeah. Um, and it's like funny because – 
in 2014 when they won the national championship, it was really hard to, to dissect what Ohio State was going to do because they were playing a service academy. But the following week, you know, I think that there were some protection issues in the Virginia Tech game, weren't there? There were a ton. Yeah, they 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 looked at the bare front that Virginia Tech threw at them and didn't know what they were looking at, and the coaches didn't know how to fix it, and they lost because they couldn't move the ball on offense. So yeah, um, I agree with that completely. And if you look at this this team, I, I don't know what it would be. I mean, pick something. What would you think? Like, what is the closest thing that you would think would be a symptom? I mean, I guess it's I guess it's the run game, but but it got. And it didn't get fixed. Like it's too much to say it got fixed against Cincinnati. It looked it looked markedly better against Cincinnati. And the thing about the run game that I think we still don't know yet is is the the real impact that Justin Fields is going to have in it. Because I still don't think he's not running. There are times when he should be running where he's not, and I don't think it's because he doesn't know what he's doing in the read option. I think it's because he's either being told to or in the back of his mind he knows he needs to protect himself in these early games. But there were plenty of runs, especially in the beginning of the game. There was one drive where he handed the ball off to J.K. Dobbins twice, and both times if he would have pulled it, he would have had a big gain. But, like, I get it. You don't want to pull it. And then on third down, he pulled it, and he got 12 yards, and it was, like, the easiest 12-yard run I've ever seen. So it's not – in my mind, it's not a matter of his ability to do it. It's just, like, being smart about when to do it. So at times – He's going to give it when he shouldn't give it, and it's not going to look great. But in the back of my head, I'm like, when like the money's on the line and Ohio State needs to win a game or get a first down, and the game it's an important game and an important moment, I think he will make the right decision. Yeah, well, I wonder like what if you were a defense uh, a defensive coordinator and you were trying to design and train your defense on how to t- attack this Ohio State offense. I, I find it surprising that it still seems like defenses are keying on Dobbins a little bit. Yeah, I think. Well, I think you want to make Fields run. I think you want to expose Fields, even though he is a gifted runner. You still want to. You you would like to expose him to get some hits. And I I mean, it sounds, I guess, bad, but maybe see if you can knock him out of the game, um, or at least put some hits on him that affect his throwing ability. Um, I I don't know. I like. I wouldn't. I wouldn't blitz him. Cincinnati blitzed a lot, and and Ohio State's offensive line did a really good job of picking it up. Um, I would maybe bring four and like have a spy and drop guys in the coverage and and make Justin Fields show that that he, he can, can make, make regressions, it which is not easy for any young quarterback. And we've seen a little bit bit of that, and there's been some mixed results, I guess. But it's mostly been really good. So I don't know. He's only played two games, and and I think by this point you sort of throw out whatever you saw from Georgia because this is just different. Um, but teams will start to figure it out. But I mean, he's. He's seen some different stuff and, and, and mostly been very good and, and I still has not has not quite unleashed his full ability in the run game yet, which will make him even more of a dangerous quarterback. So this week, going on the road for the first time, first Big Ten game, um, the spread is 14. Yep. And it was funny because you and I, I don't know if we said it on the podcast last week, but we were joking. Ohio State's going to blow Cincinnati out and cover the spread with ease, and then the following week is a trap before the spread came out, and the spread is 14. It's Which is a smaller like a perfect spread. number. Perfect number. Because <laughs> 28-17 or 31-21, you know, is all on the table there. But so, I, yeah, I just don't yeah. – but, like, that's also a small spread, and if you, if you told the Ohio State fans right now definitively Ohio State will not cover 14, in their minds that's a close game. Sure, and you know there, you know, are other ways to cover fourteen. You could be down forty-five twenty-one with five minutes left and score two touchdowns. Indiana did that to them a few years ago. Mm-hmm. I remember texting a friend. Ohio State minus fourteen, I think, was the spread or fifteen. I can't remember in two thousand fifteen or fourteen. Um, this is the lock of the century. They are going to murder them, 
And then what was the game where they gave up like 21 straight points late in the fourth quarter that and then was they backdoored a, it? I think that was the one 2014. Yeah. Like Tevin yeah. Coleman had like a 90-yard yeah. touchdown run. Um, so, you know, Ohio State could win the game with ease and still not cover. But what, what kind of game do you sense is coming? Like, do you think there's going to be a humbling game on the way to Nebraska, or do you think they're just going to cruise and, and get to that to that big game against Nebraska feeling themselves? Yeah, I don't, it's, it's a really tough spot. Uh, so the, I looked this up yesterday, and I, th- I thought it would be – so last year they beat Indiana by 28. Um, or no, sorry, I'm lying. The last three times they've played in Bloomington, they won by 28, uh, th- 7, and 3. So in the seventh, the game they won by 7, I remember it was uh, Xander Diamant. Had a throw into the end zone. The model, yeah, the model, the model that would have tied the game. Um, the the three point game, I think, was Urban's first year. I wasn't here for that. Uh, maybe it was twenty thirteen. Um, but they they sometimes it gets tricky in Bloomington. But the last time they played there, they won easily. Was when they opened the twenty seventeen season. Yep. Um, J.K. Dobbins went nuts in that game. So I don't. I, I that's the game that J.K. Dobbins, by the way, wants to emulate now. Yes, which I wrote on the Athletic yeah. on Monday. You should read it. Please subscribe. Keep us employed. Thank you. Um, 40% off. 40% off. The Athletic. Slash 4-6. Dash 6. Dash six. Um, Do it now. Please. It's a, it's a, it's a weird line. Like I, I, I think I'm inclined to pick Ohio State to cover it, even though you and I sort of lined it up as like no matter what the spread is this week, it's a trap. Well, what did you think it was going to be? Like, like this, but I didn't expect Ohio State to beat Cincinnati 42 to nothing. I thought Ohio State would cover in the in the fashion that I said they would cover last week, where they sort of pulled away at the end and like barely covered. I didn't think like they would forty five seventeen or something. I didn't think yeah. they would like kick Cincinnati's ass up and down the field for a full sixty minutes. It's like it's a trap, but you still want to put your foot in it. You right, know that right? Well, yeah. It's but a, like yeah. you know, it's not so much about whether or not they're actually going to cover. It's like the type of game you could envision it being. Right? Like, do you think? Like, I think it's possible that Ohio State will be tied with with uh, Indiana in the middle of the second quarter. And things are muddling around. Justin Fields might look a little bit off. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, and it's not because he's not good. I'm not trying to be negative, but it's just these games happen sometimes. And I'm looking at their schedule right now, and I just don't see either they're going to blow everybody out and win 45 to nothing every week until they go to Nebraska, or there's going to be a, a weird game in there that makes you think, well, this is a young team and reminds you of like where they are. And I think Indiana is the game. And could be the game and has typically been the game for some reason in Bloomington, as, you, yeah. as you've pointed out, uh, where things kind of you know re- rein in the expectations a little bit. And I think that's a real distinct possibility. So, I, I mean, I don't know if Ohio State's going to be in danger of losing the game in the fourth quarter, but, you know, they're a tricky team. They have a, a quarterback, Michael Penix, who can who can run it pretty well. He's He's been okay throwing. He threw two picks against Ball State in their opener, and then they came back last week and they, and they killed uh, Eastern Illinois. I think they shut them out. It was like 52 to nothing or something like that. Like, I don't put too much stock into beating an FCS team, no matter how impressively you do it. Um, they they played a game with Ball State for a little bit, which I think means more than, than beating Eastern Illinois. Um, no, Tom Allen, I think, is, is a decent defensive coach. Um, they have never really been able to get the offense together since Kevin Wilson left there. It sort of flipped like they're kind of a solid defensive team and just sort of an average offensive team now. And it was the the, the inverse of that when Kevin Wilson was there. Um, but I thought that Desmond Ritter from Cincinnati with his legs and, and Michael Warren in the backfield would, would be a test for Ohio State's defense and give them some problems with the quarterback run game threat. And, and it didn't happen. They just got after him. They blitzed them uh, quite a bit. They certainly blitzed more than they blitzed against Florida Atlantic, but they just put a lot of pressure on that guy, and he never really seemed to get comfortable. He had a couple uh, 
nice plays. He got he got out on one and, and threw a ball over the linebackers and was like a 28-yard completion, and he had a shot down the sideline um, against Damon Arnett. But they really limited explosive plays against against the quarterback who's pretty athletically gifted against Cincinnati. And I don't know if, if Michael Penick is better than Desmond Ritter or not. And Indiana is has got a little more talent than Cincinnati. But I wonder who's better in general, Cincinnati or Indiana. Cincinnati, I mean, Indiana's got – if you go by the thing we talked about last week, the composite – talent thing indiana's a little better i mean they record they recruit big 10 caliber players they probably have some better offensive linemen um i don't know they're probably similarly coached uh maybe a little more varied defensively um but i don't know i i just i i I, that's it this is why i feel like i'm too optimistic at the moment because i they're coming off a 42 nothing win over a cincinnati team that i feel is very good I'm expecting Ohio State to win kind of comfortably in Bloomington, and and it feels wrong to think that, but I just don't have any reason to think otherwise. Yeah, no, and I it's a that's the impulse, and that's why the traps are so compelling. Because sometimes you go and you look at the trap, and you go, "This game makes zero sense," and you think, "Well, I'm going to do it anyway." And then at the end of the game, you're like, "Why did I do that?" Yeah, um, and yeah. but yeah, I personally think if I had to guess right now. Uh, Ohio State's going to cover that spread, but I also would advise anybody who takes any stock into anything we say on this podcast not to put a dime into it. We were, uh, we were right last week, which means we'll definitely be wrong this week. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, I don't know. I, I wouldn't I wouldn't put touch that game with a 10-foot pole. But um, it's just a weird situation to be in where you can't get overly critical about anything on Ohio State's team because it's so easy to be positive with this team. It's so easy always to be positive. This is a very positive program. Uh, it's a positive place that wins a lot of games, and, you know, that's just the way it is. But I, I honestly don't even have it in me to try to nitpick this right now, which I think is a good sign, especially considering I'm in a head-to-head competition with uh, Doug Maurice of Cleveland.com for the biggest shitster on the beat. I was listening to Buckeye talk uh, the other night uh, after the game when they recorded it, and uh, somebody goes, wow, awesome. Like, it was a question that Doug was reading. Awesome uh, win, uh after beating uh, Cincinnati forty-two to nothing, and they go, "Well, what's the problem now, Mister Pessimist?" It's <laughs> a Doug, and yeah. I just like laughed because it's just like it's true. I mean, I, there there are times where I feel like I am being a pessimist, and there are times where I feel like I'm overly like. If you go back and you read last week's Saturday column after the FAU game, and then this week's, it's just like, is this guy okay? <laughs> like, <laughs> but I just they really did change my mind, and sometimes it's just undeniable. And I thought Saturday was undeniable. Yeah, no, it was, and, and it's it's just a matter of how much you you how much stock you put in Cincinnati. I think Cincinnati's pretty good. I think you probably think Cincinnati's pretty good. I also think that there are, those intangibles do at least matter for a quarter um, that we were talking about with Fickle and the Ohio kids and how much that would mean to a program. And they weren't coming in thinking this is the Super Bowl. They're coming in thinking they were a competitive team that's going to win ten games and they were going to at least give this team a game. Yeah. Ohio State beat the shit out of them the entire game. Yeah, I mean they were they hit them in the mouth almost right away, and they probably would have scored on their first possession if not. I think it was a holding penalty that that yeah. brought them back because um, they were going in, and then they the punt was huge. Drew Christmas punt was big because Ohio yeah. State had momentum in their first drive and lost it, and then Christmas put them on the two yard line, and Olave was did a great job of getting down there and downing it, and then the defense kept them pinned inside the five, I think, or inside the six. Um, so that was huge. and they didn't get a first down. I don't think there either. So no, no, they didn't. Um, they were doing some stuff with the defense that I think we should talk about. Sure. Um, 
like in those situations, they were playing four linebackers pinned up against the end zone, which I think makes sense because you're just expecting the Cincinnati to run the ball and and just try to get to the punt and punt the ball away and, and live the play another series. They were also playing four linebackers like in the middle of the field sometimes, and we have not seen very much of Brendan White at all through two games. And, and this was supposed to be the Brendan White game. I thought I was totally wrong on that. I thought it was going to be a Brendan White game just because of – Cincinnati can play with multiple tight ends and also run the ball. And maybe you'd want White to be out there to cover guys but also be strong in run support. And uh, he played but very little bit. And Pete Werner played a lot. And Pete Werner is doing a lot of the things we expected the Bullet to do. And I don't know – I was wondering what your read on that is. If it's if, if it's they actually think that Pete Werner is better than Brendan White or if they're just holding back the Brendan White stuff until they feel like they actually need it. Well, the thing that's so funny to me is that it, it always – take some time to get to know what the coach let the co- the new coaches and what they say in interviews and how much you can put stock into those things right because they're mm-hmm. new people and some people like urban meyer like to say urban was really straight to the point seriously um and ryan day isn't so straightforward and what i'm trying to get at is is that people were the new defensive staff al washington um greg madison jeff halfley i think they were all very high on the linebackers yeah. when everybody thought what the hell? This this position group is the biggest problem on our team last year. Yeah. Um, and Pete Warner was like, I think there was a quote from either Al Washington or or Greg Madison that Pete Warner is the complete most perfect linebacker you can have or something. It was the most overblown thing. I'm like, what are you pumping these people up with all this smoke for? And like, I think they might actually think that. I, I, I mean, based on who they're playing and when they're so playing far. it. And that's crazy to me because I thought Brendan White was one of the best defenders on the team last year. He, like, halfway saved their defense last year and also was the defensive MVP of the Rose Bowl. And, like, now he's playing, like, 15 snaps a game. And Pete Werner is playing, I think I had him down for, like, 35. Malik Harrison doesn't come off the field ever. Where's Don Hope a snap count? I try to keep snap counts for this game. It's really hard, man. I'm sure my numbers are way off. Um, and I didn't, I'm too lazy to go back and check them. Um, but Malik Harrison did not come off the field until the game, until they started playing twos. And uh, Baron Browning played more than Tough Borland, which I think is interesting, like significantly more than Tough Borland. Um, and Pete Werner was out there almost almost as much as Malik Harrison. Um, so like, it, if you were to rank the linebackers in terms of if you were just rank them, if you were yeah, to attribute how good they are in terms of snap count, played, yeah. it's Harrison, Werner, Browning, and then Borland, which I guess somebody had to be two out of the three that everybody was a little upset with last year. But I'm a little surprised that it's Werner, and not and only because we thought that Brendan White was going to take some of those right, snaps. Right, right, right. It's not so much that Werner was the worst, but it's that it they was created a new position to replace the same linebacker. And so far, that I mean, it's happened a little bit. When when Cincinnati was in a two minute drill at the end of the half on Saturday, they went with a four two five look that Brendan White was on the field and, and basically just following the tight end around. But at other points in the game, when they were playing nickel, Isaiah Pryor came on and he was just playing safety. And at a different point, Josh Proctor came on instead of Pryor and he was playing safety. And White was on the sideline. And uh, P. Werner is at different points in the game, like just following the tight end as if he were that, that bullet position. And there were three times in the game, twice when they called a blitz, where the rotation in the defense had Pete Werner playing deep safety. He was playing free. The, the well, Pete Werner was a pretty good in coverage for a linebacker last year, so we he should was. give him credit. I wanna, I'm going to write about this. Because he struggled week, in the run game. I thought the reason why yes. it's like ironic. People think that, oh, Pete Werner is the bullet they're playing all these bullet snaps and and they're like why aren't they put Brendan White in because Brendan White is probably better than Pete Warner at defending the run at least he was last or year or at least he was last year Pete Warner's a pretty if good Pete Warner 
is good in coverage and improved his body to get up there and put his head down, it's possible the coaching staff just thinks Pete Warner's better than, than Brendan White. <laughs> and I, I, who would have thought that would have happened? Pete Werner has put on some size this year. He's 6'3", 240 pounds, and my man was playing free safety on three snaps. And the one, the strip sack from Sean Wade, Desmond Ritter was rearing back to test Pete Werner in deep coverage, and he just didn't get a chance to get the ball there. Um, And I don't know, maybe if he threw the ball deep and Pete Werner got beat, Ohio State would never do that again, but they did it three times. Playing Pete Warner, rotating Pete Warner from Sam linebacker back to safety, which like if well, did you see what happened on that play uh, from the press box? Because I think in the clip when you watch it on TV, you can't see if he was going to get beat or not. Like you know where the the quarterback was winding up to throw it, but I don't know like where he no, was I don't, I don't remember in the TV, but I don't remember ever seeing even during that play anybody running wide open and Sean Wade. No, it happened. It. it happened so quickly that, yeah. I, and I don't remember live in a TV cut that didn't have what was happening downfield. But you, like, if you watch Desmond Ritter's body position, he was definitely looking to throw it deep. But the point of it is, is like I don't know. There's two things. I don't know what Brendan White's role is now, and maybe this is overreaction to what's the small sample size in two games from what we've seen so far. Maybe against Nebraska, Brendan White will play 60 snaps, um, which is possible. But right now, they seem to really like Pete Werner, and I, I, I plan on writing about this for later in the week because I, I remember asking Pete Werner last year. Like He played defensive back in high school. Like I think he has these instincts, but he also got himself to a more um, workable linebacker size this year after playing, I think, a little undersized last year. Um, so I don't know. Like Pete Werner went from like the one of the prizes of the defense last year to like maybe its most versatile player, and no one saw it coming. I didn't see it coming. You know what I thought was coming? The bench. I didn't think the bench was coming, but I thought, like, uh, yeah, like half half the bench was coming. <laughs> I thought the entire linebacker was going to go see the bench. Not so far. They've been good. I think Baron I thought, Brown- it, was, I thought it was going to be Baron Browning and Mitchell and White were going to be the three. Uh, and, by the way, Baron Browning is going to take somebody's job eventually. If it doesn't happen in the next few weeks, I think Tough Borneland is going to have a hard time staying on the field this guy is playing out of his mind in my opinion yeah browning browning definitely played more than borland against cincinnati and i th- i don't remember i don't have don hope's snap counts from the first game up I, I think he might have played more than borland in the first game but at the very least it was close um he's just all over the place i, I think he's flowing to the ball really well I, I did a film study breakdown for for monday and, and i highlighted a play before tough borland's interception when cincinnati was inside the five yard line and they called a run and it was a pretty good call, and it looked like Tavion Thomas, a running back, was going to get to the corner and beat Jordan Fuller to the end zone. But Baron Browning came from the backside of the play, shed his block, and brought down Tavian Thomas in, in the backfield and saved the touchdown before Borland's interception. And that, I mean, if you care about preserving shutouts, it was a huge play. And I thought, you know, we've, we've only seen two games, but there's been a lot of things that show that Baron Browning is a better player, and I, I didn't think anything illustrated any better than him coming from the backside of the play, shedding a block, tracking it, and getting the guy in the backfield before he scored. He, he's been – he's been – He looks like Andy Katzenmore. Oh, I don't know about that. But uh, <laughs> There were just a few plays where it was just like hunched over, five yards off the ball, play flows light, right? This guy, like a predator oh, – sorry, Chase Young. Yeah. Flows to the football, blows through the offensive line, and then slams the guy into the turf in the backfield. And I'm not – I might like, when I say Andy Katzenmore, I'm making a joke, but like he's playing – at a level and an intensity and a speed and a confidence that we had not seen from him. And we got to remember, this guy was one of the jewels of their 17 class. I mean, this is like like number seven player in the country. Yeah, no, I know. 
So this is what was supposed to happen, and I think it's happening. Sorry, I'm looking that up because I want to make sure I'm right on that. Baron Browning in the 2017 recruiting class was uh, – oh, sorry, he was the number 11 overall player. Yeah, I mean, that's the same thing. It's the same. Well, I thought he was the highest rated player in the class, and he wasn't. I think uh, there was one – I think maybe Okuda was ranked higher yeah. than him. But he was the number one outside linebacker prospect, even though he was actually like a safety in high school. He kind of just played all over the place. And I always thought – after watching last year, I, I just didn't think he looked very natural at middle linebacker. Um, and I know – uh, other people have written about this, and like Doug has sort of like led the charge on, on whether or not Baron Browning was ever going to be an outside linebacker, which seemed natural to me. And, and I kind of envisioned a scenario where he would end up being a defensive end almost, or like a stand-up rush end, and just let him be an athlete who goes after quarterbacks. Um, but but he looks like a Mike linebacker so far this year, and and they're switching those guys around. So sometimes he'll play Will, sometimes he'll play Mike. He can be on the edge at times, um, but even when he's in the middle. I think he's reading and reacting to plays and, and showing a patience and explosiveness that he just didn't have last year. And uh, all all of the linebackers are playing better than they were last year. Malik Harrison so far has had a really, really big season. But Baron Browning's been awesome. Landis wrote a story about Malik Harrison that was really good last week. Thanks, man. And uh, you should go read it if you haven't. Um, so what's next? Uh, is this team – going to change anything. What do you mean? Are just things going to be any different on any side of the ball? Do you think that we're looking at this um, whole picture and now it's just a developmental game, or do you think things are going to be different in six weeks? I don't know. I, 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 I hesitate to say this. But like I kind of think they're there. Like I, they're not. They're not there. They're not a finished product. But like they're there. The seeds planted. Yes, and they're 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 where they should be if you want them to be a team that contends for a playoff spot. Um, and I know that might sound crazy coming off Florida Atlantic and Cincinnati, but they just they look really good. Like I don't I don't remember they didn't they didn't look this good on both sides at this point last year. They didn't look this good on both sides at this point. Maybe in twenty seventeen. Um, I can't remember. Was the Oklahoma game the second game of that year after they beat Bowling Green? I couldn't. I think it was. was so maybe, I think so, it was the second year, both years. But yeah. So in 2016, I don't know who they killed. They beat somebody in the first game, and then they won at Oklahoma. Um, and that was like you felt you were feeling pretty good about Ohio State. Obviously, they go on the road and win at Oklahoma, um, and they end up going to the playoff that year, even though they had some obvious offensive flaws. So it's. I guess I say that with a with the caveat that like things might pop up, and Ohio State has looked like this before, and things have popped up later that that make you take a step back, but I, I think they look how they should look. I, actually, I shouldn't say that. They look they look better than I think you could have expected them to look at this point. Guys, I just want to remind you, um, every Friday on the Athletic uh, app, the uh, pay episode of this podcast, we're going to switch it to a Q&A type scenario where you guys post your questions on our website um, or app if you're a technologically forward person. And we're going to dedicate the entire show uh, every Friday to the subscribers by answering and interacting um, with questions that you guys put up. So this is a reminder. Uh, we'll put the link up, I think, later in the week, Bill. Is that how we did it last week? Yeah, it should be up uh, Thursday morning. And No, then, yeah. yeah. Wednesday night, Thursday morning, it'll be up. We'll tweet it out. And if you want to uh, submit questions for Friday's show and, and take it really in any direction you want to take it, you can do that there. And that's what's, what it's going to be. So and I, I, Friday's show is when we get the predictions, right? Mm-hmm. So at this point right now, 
Um, anything else? Let me. I want to ask you this question. So, like, we, we've been very, we've been very positive, and I think deservedly so. And I'm not saying like now let's be negative, but through these two games, everything you've watched, what what would you still like to see from Ohio State? Whether or not you think Indiana can give them a test in that area is is besides the point. But like, what are you still wondering about this team? The thing that I'm most wondering about is the thing that I was like fixated on before the year. Like Ohio State had that football game one against Cincinnati on Saturday, and they left Justin Fields into the game like a series too long, in my opinion. Yeah. And the number one way that this entire thing comes crashing down is if something happens to Justin Fields. And I understand that Ohio State's in a position where they need him to throw the ball as much as they can, and they want him to run and get the reps. He's still a sophomore. But I think they need to start being more uh, careful with him. And I'm not saying playing scared, but I think he needs to have a shorter leash in terms of how long he stays in the game because there's one way to unravel the season. That's him getting injured. Yep. If he gets injured, Ohio State goes from national championship contender to a three-loss team in a snap of a finger, in my opinion. Um, especially considering the fact that you know the guy who was supposed to be or I thought was supposed to be the backup, you and I disagreed on this, Gunnar Hoke didn't even get into the game until after um, for the first time until this. He got into the game for the first time against Cincinnati, didn't play at all in the opener, and still seems to be visibly behind Chug in the uh, – backup quarterback situation. So um, I want to see whether or not Ohio State can just protect this guy the right way. Against yeah. <laughs> I think it was one drive at the end of the, uh, the game. Yeah, yeah. Chuck got a drive and, and Hope got a drive. So, like, to me, that's like there is, like, you can be this huge, gigantic monster and have one inch of exposure, and if you push that one button, everything comes tumbling down, and I think that's Ohio State's button. And I think it's fine the way that they've used Justin Fields. I don't think they've ran him too much. Not too many instances of him putting his shoulder down or exposing himself to injury, but I do think that they need to pull him out of the game faster. Yeah, that's been interesting. I, I thought last week he played into the first, played the first series of the fourth quarter, and then they got him out. Um, but they wanted to finish that thing. Like They didn't finish it against Florida Atlantic, and it was to the point where in the third quarter – they have backups. Well, not they have like backup skill guys in, still the starting offensive line, still Fields, and like J.K. Dobbins' day was done, but they put him in the game to lead block for Justin Fields to make sure they finish that drive with a touchdown, and then they got one more touchdown drive. So, I get wanting to let Justin Fields feel good and continue to get comfortable, and you want your offense to be proficient in the red zone, and they have been. They scored seven touchdowns on eight tries so far, and then the one they didn't get a touchdown on was the fourth and one run stop last week or this week against Cincinnati. That was on the twenty yard line, um, but I agree with you. I'll, I'll be curious to see how they how they measure Justin Fields gaining experience versus protecting him moving forward. Um, I think if, it's going to be a thing all year. If they're, in, I mean, but the thing about it is, if they're in position to ask themselves that question moving forward, like they're pretty good because that means they're up by. Oh, it. for sure. Yeah. Like it's not like we're going to be like take Justin Fields out of the game in the fourth quarter at Nebraska. Well, maybe you never know. I mean, if they are, then but, then they want yeah. the Nebraska and, and kick the ass. But again. maybe maybe for the rest of the preseason, then if if things are when they play Miami, Ohio, if things are. I don't know. I would not. I just like I think I'm like just like kind of like fixated on this because I feel like Ohio State's quarterback depth is the worst it's been in my career. It's really bad. Yeah, it's, and it's, it's like, like no, it's no, no offense to like Chris Chuganoff and Gunnar Hoke. I think if one of those guys had to play, they could find a way to make something work. But they're just not as good as Justin Fields. It's not. It's not close. The the, the gap between the start and the backup is as wide. as I would it's say ever that it's not even close. And granted, Ohio State's had some very good backup quarterbacks. They've been very fortunate. They've been very fortunate, but like you couldn't even. Gunnar Hoke, compared to the worst backup quarterback Ohio State's had in the past six years, might not even match up with that guy. Well, I don't know. We haven't seen him play. I don't know if yeah. we can say that. Um, 
Well, one last point I want to make about what, what I'm curious to see moving forward is what Ohio State hasn't really been tested in the past game yet, and by that I mean it's secondary, and it's because that Florida Atlantic and Cincinnati just couldn't block their front, and they blitzed a little more against Cincinnati to make that the case. But there has not been a ton of pressure, I think, put on Jeffrey Okuda and Damon Arnett. I mean, part of that is they're doing a good job covering, and the openings aren't there to throw the ball. But at some point, they're going to run into a team that can protect their quarterback a little better or negate the pass rush with a quick passing game. And, and there's going to be some more pressure put on Jeffrey Okuda and Damon Arnett and Sean Wade and Jordan Fuller and Brendan White if he gets in there um, to make some plays in the pass game. And, and the linebackers are going to have to get involved a little bit too. So I'm still curious about that. I don't think it's Indiana. Um, it's definitely not Miami, Ohio, but it, I think it would be Nebraska. And we'll learn a little more about it then. But that's still lingering out there for me. Just I, I think they've been really good against the run, and that was first and foremost of what they had to fix coming off of last year. But I'm, I still want to see how they are against the pass and if they can get back to being the dominant passing defense that they were you know, two or three years ago. All right, guys. Thanks so much. That's it for this week's episode. Um, please, please, please rate, subscribe. Uh, you know, those little stars and toss a five star on there on Mr. Five Star. Um, and if you're not subscribed to The Athletic, uh, please do. We'd love to have you. Um, theathletic.com slash four dash six, uh, 40% off right now. And uh, we'll catch all the subscribers and all the people who decide to dis- subscribe off the show on Friday. Thanks again for listening. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.